0: This episode of Critical Weave Theory is going to deal a lot with uh, recent events in US politics, so if that's become kind of a bummer topic for you, as it has for me, maybe tread lightly on this one. There are also mild spoilers for Moriarty the Patriot. Without ado, let's get into it.
1: ...by the people who hold all the cards, that is, the capitalist class.
0: Right. Um, we tend to see uh, the market as a, a democracy well right in the sense that we don't well we not not us because we're based in epic and awesome commies but like the normies <laughs> uh, hello oh oh well hello oh well who's this is critical we theory back with another episode hope y'all didn't miss us too much Um,
2: i hope you missed us a lot i hope you were very sad about our absence
0: Mm. um Um, this is uh mo black he him his
2: and this is ragava um anything
0: other than he him or she her and we are here to talk about anime as usual but this time Not any specific anime, but we're kind of thinking about how anime are made and how the forces that force how uh, shows get greenlit and created also uh, force uh, other aspects of our lives, um, especially in this uh, completely wild um, political moment. I think it is worth... Uh, connecting something uh, like a microcosm, something small and easy to understand, with like the much larger and scarier world of, you know, national politics and and uh, people and movements and stuff like that. So, without further ado, let's talk about profit. Profit.
2: Are you telling me people have to make money with their anime?
0: Uh um What? Well. That's kind of the nature of our economic system, right? Uh, there are uh, mass groups of people who uh, need to make anime for someone else and be paid a wage in return, and there's a small group of people who own uh, the studios and the office buildings and the rights, which is not even a physical thing you can own. It's it's, a, it's an intellectual thing that is just defended by the state, and the rights to actually um, create an anime and these two forces need to come together for an anime to be made right um the thing is though um the people who are actually the creative drivers behind making an anime do not have the ability to decide which anime gets made most of the time so
2: i'm an rpg person like i like role-playing games so i think about things in terms of classes because there are classes in an rpg Mm -hmm. and we can say that in this anime scenario there are like really two classes at play right Mm -hmm. there are the people who are doing working why don't we call them the working class and there are the people who own the capital the building the intelligent property rights the people who are directly contracted we could call those people... Well, because they own the capital. We could call them the capitalist class. This is,
0: this is very... This is very creative. I'd play this RPG. It would be a... It's a but I'd only <laughs> want to play... Dark urban uh, fantasy. I would only want to play as the capitalist class. Because don't they just kind of... Uh, don't they just kind of control the relationship between the capitalist class and the working class? I mean, if you have the money and you don't need it to survive but the working class does can't you just get the working class to work on whatever you want because they
2: have to do whatever you tell them to do because you control the means of production
0: means of production that's a fancy way to say um
2: okay we'll we'll stop being facetious um if you aren't already familiar with this uh these concepts uh there are plenty of other people who have introductions to socialist and communist theory that do it better than we do but i think it's important to understand and acknowledge that these relationships are in place when um, to then go into start and we'll talk about this later but when we talk about like you need to for example support Crunchyroll in order to support the animators it's important to understand that who gets the profits is not always, and if you know, if you've ever seen someone work in fast food, right? Someone working fast food gets paid the same amount regardless of how much they make, and they're always being exploited. Right. And so what this ends up meaning is that it's that same sort of relationship between workers and the capitalist class, right? Fun- fundamentally, these animators are the same as, like, fry cooks at a fast food place. Realistically, they the profits of the anime do not go to the workers who
0: made that anime, mm-hmm.
2: even if you buy lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of it.
0: That is uh, well said, Ruggero. Um, I think we should uh, investigate uh, this relationship a little bit further. Uh, we, I think, uh, it's kind of taken for granted. I think in in anime critiquing circles that uh people like studios and uh, production committees make anime to make money I mean obviously right but we don't actually ever look at how this affects uh the final product that's being made right we know that studios make stuff um, to make money but we also have like this weird I guess understanding of like the pure artist right so like even though the studio is making, is like backing a project because they think it'll be successful. Like we have this idea that like the artists underneath are like free spirits, right? Who like, who really like take a project to like another level, right? There are some people who uh, just like do the daily grind and pump out like an average show or an average story, and there's some people who really care about the craft, right? And as long as we fill anime with like those people, you know, people who care about the craft, right? And then we'd have good shows instead of bad shows. Um, but as long as this relationship between worker and capitalist exists, it's not going to happen. Because the only anime that get made are anime that a studio thinks um, can get a return on investment.
2: I want to add the following addendum, that this isn't universally the case. There are certainly studios and people in these studios who go out of their way to try and make things that they think are interesting and good. But they're what We're talking about... Right. We're talking about the core set of interests and incentives that are at place that influence the way in which anime, and by extension... All art are produced under capitalism.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um so let's first take a look at let's take a look at like one um aspect one consequence of the fact that like shows aren't made to make money is that um in order for shows to be made with the most amount of profit possible, um anime studios have to cut corners. And the easiest place to cut corners is in the in the working condition of the working conditions of the people who make the show itself. So um, there's kind of a myth going, that goes around about capitalism that um, we need capitalism to uh, bring about innovation because when you work for a wage, you are more motivated than when you have everything handed to you. Um, But this is like not true. Not only is it like scientifically not true. I'll actually link to an interesting a video by uh, Tristan won't shut up that I saw recently about it um, And yeah. the short of it is do you do better work when you are constantly stressed constantly worried if you're gonna um, make rent when you're working two jobs when you're tired all the time because you don't get to rest uh, when you're worried about uh, whether or not you'll be able to have a social life at your job is that really when you create your best work or do you create your best work when you're, like, fed, and when you're focused, and when you're collaborating with people that you can actually stand being around? Um, for for reference to the anime production cycle, it roughly goes a little bit like this. Um, a couple of companies get together, they form a production committee, and they decide, we think that if we made this show, we would get a good return on investment, right? Um, the production committee then gets like a sum of money and sends it off to the studio and it's like make this show usually um there's a little it's a little bit more complicated than that sometimes the studio has like a director who wants to make a show and then they get in touch with the production but basically um
1: there are producers who have the money and they functionally contract out everyone else and it's all trickling down from there
0: yes exactly um Right down to the end, but there are a lot of anime studios that literally do not have any full-time employees. They're just people who contract other things. Um, for reference, like the average um, pay for an animator uh, in in a lot of these uh, Japanese animation studios is like f- almost four hundred dollars a month. Not even um, rent in Tokyo can cost over $1,000 a month, right? So <laughs> you do the math how exactly one is meant to live uh, when rent takes your entire income uh, and then some. So with all of these, uh, with uh, as we described the cycle of how shows are made, the studio then of course they give orders to like make sure things are storyboarded, edited out, shipped out. And then um, in the end, the only people who really receive the profit are um is the production committee that made the investment um and the people licensing merch and stuff like that um we have people working on who are like miserable working not on stories that they care about but stories that um production committees think will make the most money right
1: we'll link to sources about all of this stuff in the description
0: but um the 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 first point um, that we'd like to make about this is that if you've ever wondered why a lot of anime feels like samey why it's like a lot of shows feel like they want to be like other shows but it they're like worse versions of those shows or why it's like why do we get like some seasons to have like five different isekai in them? Why is it like when you watch like a like a like a fantasy story, it's always the same thing. It's like there's like a there's like an average looking dude with dark hair and then there's like like a blonde exotic priestess and then there's like orcs. Well, okay. Kings Raid doesn't have orcs. That's
1: Kings Raid refuses to have orcs.
0: That's a story for another time, <laughs> right? Um, that's one of the reasons why it's because um, the only things that get that get funded consistently are things that that investors know have a pattern of having a return on investment. And so, for people who say that like um, capitalism fosters innovation, it fosters creativity, it fosters the exact opposite; it fosters stability and stagnation because stability and stagnation are what actually makes profit um trying new things for the sake of it well that can ruin you if you're not sure right
1: i think it's more important to take a moment to break down and iterate the fact that line go up is a social construct in
0: this is what's your
1: um in a very real sense of what is or isn't profitable is very much determined by what people will buy but um this might surprise you uh, tastes can be cultivated so people who grow up and see a lot of isekai and get used to a lot of isekai will start to want more isekai because that is what they have been shown and that is what they are customs to, right? Almost like I don't know. Maybe you're like manufacturing the way people feel about a thing by inundating it with them with it.
0: Now that's an interesting maybe, word.
1: Maybe you're.
0: He said facetiously.
1: <laughs> uh, maybe by flooding the market with a bunch of isekai, right? Some of those isekai will succeed. And because a lot of money was put into those isekai, um, you know they're more likely to have higher animation, more marketing, whatever. So they're more likely to succeed than others. So people mm-hmm. will look at those and say, "Well, the isekai we made succeeded, so we must have been right." And then when mm-hmm. someone tries a new risky thing, they will like not put that much money into it, and then it might fail because you know the animators didn't have as much money there wasn't as much time, wasn't as much creative effort, wasn't as much marketing, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then the production committee will look at that and be like, yeah, we told you that a show with competently written female characters wouldn't sell. I don't know. Surely someone must be thinking that. Right. And so again, we're talking about, it's not, it's not even necessarily deliberate, but we're already talking about the ways in which the sort of what is and isn't popular, what isn't isn't successful, what isn't isn't profitable, is to a large degree manufactured by the people who hold all the cards. That is the capitalist class,
0: right? Um, we tend to see uh, the market as a democracy, well, right, in the sense that we don't. Well, we, not not us, because we're based in epic and awesome commies, but like the normies <laughs> the um u.s hegemony and what you learn in schools and such uh tends to see the market as a democracy uh and uh in the sense that like you vote with your dollar right if you have um if you have a product uh, whether or not it lives or dies um basically is up to uh, the people at large right um And so we kind of tend to ignore the fact that uh, people advertise for stuff. Like, this is weird. Like, if you think about what is capitalism, it's ads everywhere, right? But, like, when we actually think about, like, how we think about uh, markets, somehow advertising doesn't come come into play at all. So there's that. And there's also the fact that, like, a lot of projects can be sustained by a minority of people who have many, many dollars, right? Or... Uh, if you want to say it's a, mar- a market is a democracy, then many many more votes than someone else, right? Um, there are plenty of sectors of the economy that are literally just like rich assholes giving each other like fake money so that line go up, right? And like, no, there's not like much of a product that people are buying in the base. Um, and likewise, a
1: um, pretty interesting video on this. Guy. Again, we'll also link in the description about yeah. how capitalists are bad at business in which these um in which the writer interrogates the ways in which line go up isn't always line go up or line go up doesn't always mean what you want it to mean
0: right or um again in the context of uh, anime specifically there are a lot of shows that don't actually have any appeal what's like not any appeal but they don't have like mass appeal um And despite that, they have like a tiny niche audience of people who uh, tend to be more affluent and tend to be able to spend money on uh, DVDs, spend money on uh, merchandising and stuff like that. And like that tiny demographic alone uh, keeps the entire um, project afloat. Right. So
1: I'm going to give a very specific example. Shout out to Kira Diaz on our YouTube page of Darling in the Franks. Darlene, oh, the Franks was not made Franks. because anybody wanted it to be made.
0: We will actually we the don't, Franks episode. Yeah, we can.
1: The Franks episode is coming up at some point soon, <laughs> um, sooner than either of us would like to be uh, would like it to be. But this is our um, this is our foreshadowing to Darlene, the Franks episode in which we talk about like. Darling in the Franks and Conception are great examples of shows that are fundamentally made for niche markets. Mm-hmm. Specifically and you know when you say it? I'm going to say it I'm gonna say the word. alright? You ready?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Propaganda.
0: Ooh, I'm scared I'm scared this is scary.
1: <laughs> we'll be a little less facetious because I imagine that a lot of you people watching are already like, Yeah, we get it, we get it, get to the point, alright. Sure,
0: fine. sure. 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 Um, but uh, the thing about propaganda uh, is that when you have all these things, you have like people working on stuff they don't want to in bad conditions, um, people only funding shows that they think it'll uh, make the money, um, people uh, n- like manufacturing niche markets that spend a lot of money to keep projects afloat um at the end of the at the end of the day this drives a lot of like a lot of the tropes that we see and we complain about here on critical weave theory like uh, for example take take like a random like harem show right and you can take like generic um what are all the harems t- t- uh, stereotypes, right there's like childhood best friend right there's the cinderella right um there's a uh, girl with big boobs right uh there's lolly um I'm pretty sure there's like a fifth one. There's usually a fifth one. <laughs> Scorned lesbian. Okay. <laughs> They're all awful, awful, awful stereotypes, right? But, um, think about what happens after uh the, after the show gets released. Um, they all have like very cute designs usually, and there are designs that are made to be uh, figurines. Um, very expensive figurines that no one understands how they're expensive other than the fact that only one company owns the right to make them
1: well we understand exactly why they're expensive because again like line go off
0: right like if you have a monopoly on um childhood best friend figurine from my favorite and cool uh, harem isekai right then well you're the only one who can sell them and so if even if it only costs like I don't know a couple a couple dollars to make you can definitely sell it for like 200 300 dollars because like where else are you gonna get it right um but but you can kind of see how um bad sexist tropes are kind of included um because they're popular like when shows like treat uh, female characters like like objects when they treat lgbt people um like fetish um when uh they stay away from like introducing like characters with like dark skin and this and that a lot of that is like informed by a need to fit existing capitalist markets right and so it's not necessarily that like no show can ever be um, progressive but like there is a tendency to regression among markets
1: It's very simply, the people who already have all of the capital have a vested interest in making sure that it stays that way. And so they are, you know, prone to funneling money towards projects that ensure the status quo is upheld, right? Capitalists generally do not advocate for the abolition of capital. And thus, there is fundamentally a tension as long as we work within this framework where, you know, that's going on. And there's the alternative of like other systems and other frameworks of working, like worker-owned co-ops, etc., are like different and they have a different set of incentives that allow for more equitable storytelling.
0: Right. Um, so we can kind of see, um, we, we brought up uh, the marketplace as a a democracy, um, but we can kind of see that it's a little bit more complicated. There's obviously, um, when, when a show does numbers and when a show, uh, is successful and when a lot of merchandise is bought from the show, then that affects what, uh, what uh production committees are willing to do in the future like um i've written about this already uh for bullshit no Isha, but like sao kind of made both a genre and an entire art style for like the entirety of the 2010s um, i think we're kind of we're moving to a more like softer kind of did you say it was like bunny girl-esque sort of
1: I don't know if Bunny Girl esque is. I don't know if that's the right uh, name for the aesthetic because I don't yeah. know for a fact that Bunny Girl was the first to par- paragon that aesthetic.
0: Bunny Girl wasn't the first show to to pioneer the new aesthetic that I think we're the new kind of default aesthetic that I think we're heading into. Um, but the fact that there is just like a set aesthetic that a lot of shows try to conform to, to like trick you into thinking that you are watching like a modern up-to-date anime style, is like uh rather interesting. Uh, but uh, we can kind of see then uh, that, uh, the reason why we brought this up is that like, what people buy influences what gets made, but what gets made also influences what people buy
1: mainly because people have to buy what is made
0: right and because there's such an imbalance between um, workers who just receive a wage and can spend some of that wage on like recreational activities and capitalists who like have a lots of money and can invest in whatever whatever the hell they want um this imbalance means that the capitalist side is much more likely to just use um, the power that they have to just invent markets out of thin air and invent um, positions, invent demographics, invent likes and dislikes and passions out of thin air and marketing than it is for um, the people to come together and say, I want this made, I want this enacted, I want this to happen, take place." Which uh, brings us to uh, a more general idea that uh, Raghava Uh, Introduced a little bit earlier, uh, we talk about manufacturing markets in general. We can manufacture consent. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, Yeah, manufactured consent is by linguistics person and anarchist Noam Chomsky, who uh, has some bad ideas, but some good ideas, including this one. Um, right what's going on with them
0: yeah so uh in uh his text Manufactured consent um Noam Chomsky kind of uh he uh introduces the idea of hard versus soft power um uh, kind of the classical imperialist and colonialist regimes of um, the 1800s and early 1900s um they uh exercise a lot of hard power so they would go around the world and like point guns at people and say i think uh you should make rubber for me now i think you should uh barn for me now and it's like dang i don't want to do that but i guess i would otherwise you know i'd die or something right you know like uh slavery is a good example of hard power in which you force you um you come into contact with the kingdom you uh uh, you basically say, um, I would like you to give me all of the people who all of like the lower people in your society. And I'm going to take them and I'm going to use them as, uh, you know, labor for my, my economy. Right. But soft power is a little bit different. Soft power isn't do what I say. I'm pointing a gun to you. Soft power, um, is I'm going to use my, all of the power that I have in my, in my arsenal to make you want to do what I want. Right. So it, I don't have to point a gun to your head, but I can, I can give you ads about how, you know, working for my company is really great and I can draft laws that uh, cut the social safety net from you so that you really need a job and then you come and you work for me for a how, however little I say so and you've consented all the way through but that consent only exists because of um the power I have and the way I've applied it on you
1: Mm -hmm. um an example I think of and that is very topical right now is earlier this week I think either yesterday or day before as of time of recording, there was a political political article where it said Nancy Pelosi in order to ensure that the Democrats keep Georgia, must avoid using the phrase socialism or whatever, right?
0: Right.
1: Um, But if you think about it for even a moment, that's kind of bullshit, because overwhelmingly policies like Medicare for All, um, increased minimum wage have been overwhelmingly popular, especially during the pandemic.
0: Mm-hmm. So and especially is, among, like, the, the poorest parts of the working class.
1: Yeah, or, like, the people in Georgia. but don't want to speak for all of them, but it's very true there. So it's important, right, of this, that political article is an extension of manufacturing concerns, where the political article aims to do one of, well, two things, really, right? One, if you legitimately support socialist policies, it is to convince you that those policies are unpopular and therefore that you can't advocate for them.
0: Not just unpopular but I think unrealistic Mm -hmm. I think is the better term. Right? In the sense that like uh, something like uh, Medicare for All, a Green New Deal, these things are not uh, realistic because um, they can't get done because not enough voters support them because they're not popular. But like right. part of the reason why people don't support these things is because they have been told that they are not popular. So it's like...
1: They've been told it, that it, it cannot it's, be done or that it's not possible or it's not on the table or they've been presented with two options who do not do, do it. For example, another example is talking about fracking. Who actually wants fracking? It turns out that even amongst people and in-
0: even among uh, there's I I did some uh, napkin math uh, the other day on who actually supports fracking and who doesn't. Um, we are told that, uh, for example, by the media that um the reason why uh, both candidates of both major parties need to support fracking is because of all the fracking jobs in Pennsylvania which is a swing state right um but as we but if you look into it um the number of people who actually work in the fracking industry is like astronomically small and then <laughs> Pennsylvania workers in and of themselves are a small part of the entire like working class so like
1: and even then like Not all Pennsylvania workers
0: support fracking. That's the other thing.
1: And even then, it's also false because you could just, for most of the Pennsylvania workers, you could just give them another job. Jobs are a social construct. If they support fracking, it is because they must in order to survive.
0: And so... And so what you have is um a situation in which the majority of people if you poll people, do you support fracking? The majority of people do not support it. You have people where you have a situation where workers in Pennsylvania who have to live next to who have to live next to fracking sites and who um are afraid to drink their water because you know when they light a mash next with the whole thing like lights into flames, um they uh they don't support fracking. Um, But then we're told that banning fracking is absolutely on the table. It's electoral suicide because then you'll lose the working class. Well, none of the data says that. So where does the idea come from? Well, it comes from the media in and of itself. It's an idea that only exists because we're told that it exists.
1: It's an idea that is pushed because the real people who support fracking are the corporations. make the money off of fracking who have the capital and thus it is in their interest to act like if they can't get you to support it itself to convince you that opposing it is unfeasible that nobody wants that even though upon closer examination it turns out that actually a lot of people want that
0: Uh, i think to get a really good idea of how how uh, manufactured consent affects our political process I think we can go back a little to super tuesday um, I did do a super tuesday video I think this was kind of back where I, I I wanted the channel to to kind of have more regular political content but I kind of just moved that to my Twitter so if you want that then you can just follow me on Twitter but um what happened in Super Tuesday uh, was that every exit poll showed like overwhelming support for uh, Bernie Sanders' social democratic policies, right? Overwhelming support for a Green New Deal, overwhelming support for Medicare for all, overwhelming support for decriminalizing marijuana, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there was also overwhelming support for Joe Biden, a candidate who supported none of these things over Bernie Sanders, a candidate that did and so why are people especially among um black people who support these things the most like black people are the most economically progressive uh demographic a uh, racial demographic in the country like by far easily um you ask any poll you ask black people what do you think about socialism like 65% say socialism is a good thing you ask people like what do you think about like <laughs> What do you think about just, like, taking Jeff Bezos' money and running away with a comically large bag? That gets, like, 82% support among black workers. <laughs> right? But they also support Joe Biden. And why? And it's because during the Democratic primaries, the single most important issue for basically every voter was which candidate can beat Trump.
1: Right? Right. and then we have to now we have to start interrogating the question of why do people think that this is the candidate who can beat Trump?
0: If you just think about it for a minute, if if you support a policy that's popular and all your and all the other people who are voting also support a candidate uh, a thing that's popular and all those people come out to vote, why would that platform not be able to defeat the opponent? Right. Um, where does the idea that we we what what Super Tuesday showed was that a lot of um, voters, especially Black voters, um, all had really popular ideas about policy, and all also thought that their own ideas were unpopular, and so they picked someone who they thought had more popular ideas. But especially among the Democratic Party, there were not more popular ideas. So how does that happen? Well it happens because the media said so
1: media pushes the narrative um
0: they started with the position that like uh left populism isn't popular it's not popular among the working class or what the media has also redefined to just mean like white people without college degrees Um, and because of that uh you can't actually support that you can't actually vote for it and then so people don't, and you get like an entire demographic of people.
1: Well, we get an entire demographic of people voting against what they want because they think that no one else wants what they want. And this is a form of like, again, manufactured and coerced consent. And I think about this a lot in terms of, I think one of my favorite 23 page essays ever is Gayatri Chakraborty Spivak's Can the Subaltern Speak? In which I don't know if I can actually oh, yeah. do a specific tangent. Can I do a specific mm-hmm. tangent? I can I'm sure I yeah. can. I'm sure I can get away with it. This is our own <laughs> manufacturing <laughs> <consent. laughs> i and making you listen. But basically, we're are considering this idea of um we're considering this idea of resenting the ideas and uh but it's important to consider this in terms of whose voices are being heard whose voices are being amplified who is who are the people who get to talk about what for example black voters want is it the black voters themselves who are allowed to talk about what black voters want when all of those white liberals on twitter are like yes black women black Mm -hmm. women helped make sure that joe biden won Are the black women actually allowed to speak for themselves about what it is they want and what it is they want to say? Or are they tokenized, silenced, exoticized, the only ones whose voices are uplifted are the ones who agree with the uh, uh, Mm pre-built conclusion by the neoliberal status quo, right? Um, this is something I think about a lot in terms of, uh, Gaia uh, essay.
0: We'll put it in the description for sure.
1: Um, it's a pretty, 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 pretty good essay. Um, there are some great quotes, like, we are only justified mm-hmm. and recognized insofar as we are oppressed. Great line. But one of the things she talks about in the essay is how when the British colonized India, they explicitly and specifically um, tried to colonize mindsets. Um, They essentially, one of the quotes is um, from Macaulay. I'm pronouncing it wrong, but I don't care because he's British and I'm contractually obligated to hate the British. Um, He says, we must at present do our best to form a class who may be interpreters between us and the millions who we govern the class of persons Indian in blood and color, but English in taste, opinions, and moral and in intellect. So, and that's just at the surface, but so we take that as a foundation, and then we start thinking about, okay, when someone says, you know, these, you know, people of color oppose uh joe biden redistributing the wealth well mm-hmm. that population was selected for it. it's not like they pulled every single person of color it's not like they pulled every single per- black person in america and said well what right. do you think about like this policy because then you get a much different answer they very specifically looked at the specific subset of people a subset of people who are designed Mm -hmm. to agree with what they say, ask those people and then peddle that information. And this is a form of like, in a very real sense, coercion or Mm -hmm. perhaps more accurately propaganda. It is to, in a sense, make white liberals say, well, this is what, Oh, I get it. This is what that population believes. And because I don't care to interact with people outside of my narrow worldview.
0: Right. Um, I think like another good example of this is the read spivak. anyway, Reeds-Bivik. it'll definitely be in Reeds-Bivik.
1: Reeds-Bivik. or if well, I guess like well, I guess like reads, if this isn't already your oh yeah sure um I'm going to briefly tangent about this because it's important to me um in reading uh, candles of alternate speak it's not like any of it was new information because it was like my experience but it was in a sense putting words to a thing i had a bit feeling um so if you're like me and postcolonialism is your nightmare the way in which it lingers is with you then i think it's a very good way of like framing and thinking about it um and if you're not like me and you have never experienced this directly then and you have the time, I encourage you to, like, look at it. I guess, like, maybe the sentence says that maybe it doesn't. But um, if you come from a relatively privileged background, you have to read to understand. Uh, never mind.
0: The last example I had before we move on um, that really bugs me uh, is the uh, narrative um, that we've seen over the course of the election of black men moving to trump uh it's like not actually true like when you look at the data um black men have always supported trump a little bit more than um black women but overall it's still like uh it's still like 80% of people support um, 80% Not of black close. people support, um, uh, uh, Biden and like 10% support Trump, 10% of black men support Trump. And then there's like a little bit that's like, uh, support neither. Um, but what happened over this election is that if you look at the percentage of, uh, black voters, uh, who voted for Trump, the, that percentage has gone up, um, this does not necessarily mean that black people like it's like it went up from like four percent to eight percent or something and people are saying like oh now now trump and biden have an equally likely chance to win the black vote black men are now in play for 2024 and it's like no no The, the it's
1: also, can we stop, like, dehumanizing entire marginalized populations and treating them like they're monoliths? Like, we have to stop. Like, the way that...
0: Oh, yeah, fuck that. Please stop doing it. Um, I have a thing on that, Uh, I think, towards the end. But um, the idea that, like, uh, Candace Owens and uh, 50 Cent and... Uh, I don't want to even say Ice Cube because that in and of itself was... Was more manufactured consent. Ice Cube talked to both the Biden camp and the Trump camp about their plans for um, Black Americans when they became president. But um, the the Trump camp spun this up as uh, Trump working with the Black community, quote unquote, to uh, uh, set up opportunity zones or whatever the fucking bullshit that he wants to do um, to Black people. Um, and people said, wow, Trump must be, Trump is doing better with the black vote than any other Republican, huh? Blah, 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 this and that. But like, it, that's like not real. It's, it's a narrative yeah. that the Republican Party has invested a lot of money into. And, and, and.
1: I'm going, I'm going to tell you a secret as a computer science person right here's the secret numbers don't inherently mean anything right like numbers don't inherently mean anything going from four percent to eight percent could also just mean that people were overwhelmingly disappointed in joe biden and thus fewer people voted for biden
0: uh record numbers of people voted this election but the election was targeted basically essentially at like white people. So like way more white people gave a shit this time yeah. than last time yeah. because both sides, both sides told them All that was uh, this that. was the, the most important election of their lifetimes and that everything was on the line. And it's, a, it's, it's a pretty important election. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to say it's not, but mm-hmm. um, the, the framing of the entire election is uh, overwhelmingly white in the sense that, like, both parties kind of, yeah, like with uh, the the Democratic Party moving right, the Democratic Party doesn't move right because it wants to appeal to black people. The Democratic Party moves right because it wants to appeal to uh, suburban voters and rural voters who are white. Um, when uh, Democrats tut-tut you for saying, I would really not like the police to kill me anymore, please. They're not doing that because they want your vote. They're doing that because they're afraid that white people are racist, and they won't they won't vote for us unless we also pretend we're racist too. Pretend in quotes because you're just actually racist. Um, so,
1: wasn't there that study that showed that overwhelmingly these rural, working-class, lower-income people.
0: Um, Yeah, like, l- low-income people overwhelmingly support Biden.
1: Like, it turns out people yeah, know like, their fucking class interests. People know their fucking class interests. Anyone who is, like, super derisive over, like, working-class people, like, really needs to check their privilege because, like, it turns out working-class people don't vote for the fascists. Yeah, middle income people, middle
0: like people, people see white,
1: uh, middle income, middle and middle and upper income white people are Trump's demographic.
0: Not like, like people see people. white without college degree, and they think, uh, poor. But that's like not true. There's a lot of parts of the country in which you can have like a really stable income. Um, because uh, you work in a business that your family did, um, because you work in like, like you know, like a farm, um, because you just started a business yourself, stuff like that. Like, and B, having a college degree, you can have a college degree and still be low income. It's actually kind of a huge problem. It's the whole student debt thing. Right. You, yeah. come a, you come out of you come out of university yeah. and you still don't have like the infrastructure set up for like a well-paying job, right? So there are all these things. The frustration here is that none of what we're saying is like like doing your own research. Like I like uh, far-right uh, QAnon supporters will say, "Oh yeah, I do my own research," right? Um, none of this is that. All of the statistics that we're talking about are like publicly available information right the idea that the poorest segments of the working class um the ones that vote anyway support the democrats over the republicans is like not hard to find but and yet the narrative
1: and yet it is the democrats it's the democrats who push the narrative that oh we have to adopt more conservative policies in order to secure the rural, working low-income working-class vote. I wonder why that is. It's because it's it's because it's uh, the the name of the game in politics. If you haven't figured it out already, is to make it seem like the thing you were going to do anyway was actually something people actually wanted. somehow.
0: When Democrats tell you that we can't say defund the police anymore. We can't say socialism anymore. We can't have progressives anymore because it's not popular. Um, What they're saying is they don't want to do it. Fuck you. (laughs) No, that's what they're saying. Uh, Because think about if you pulled Republicans in 2000, should we build a giant uh, concrete wall at the border? Um, Should we uh, set up uh, massive uh, detention centers. Uh, should we like t- wrestle uh, babies out of the arms of uh, out of the arms of like crying mothers? Um, should we like perform random hysterectomies on like on like interned migrant women? People would say like, no. <laughs> Where are you from? Right. But there is the there is the capacity in the people to support those things donald trump like manufactured consent for much 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 crueler immigration policy than we were even already doing which was already cruel we essentially set up um a legal gray area where 11 million people work with no protections um at constant threat of deportation just like for profit and that was already something that we did and then now um With uh, the infrastructure set up by Obama and the legal changes by um, the Trump administration, we have this entire apparatus of just, like, horrible shit that, like, half of Americans just support. If you can build support for some of the most heinous, awful, cruel policies that anyone could ever think of, don't tell me that you can't fucking build support for cutting federal police funding by, like, 50% and giving some of that to, like kids so that they can eat breakfast are you are you shitting me you're you just don't want to try and i know you don't want to try
1: or right it's it's a deeply hor- it's it's very serious and especially when you look at the way like at the at its height people were very in support of defuncting during police. during and the heat yeah,
0: of the moment of the george floyd protests when people saw
1: That was even, like, that was even the watered-down liberal version of the idea of full abolishment.
0: I do not actually support defunding the police. I support its abolition. But um, during the time immediately after the George Floyd process, Black Lives Matter was extremely popular. Uh, Defunding the police was extremely popular. Anti-police sentiment was extremely popular. And do you know what happened? There was, like, a manufactured media backlash. There was, um, a right wing shift that said that doing all these things are anarchy. If we, um, cut the police budget any, um, that means, uh, black people in hoods, um, break into your house at night and, um, like kidnap your daughter. And there's no one at 911 to answer the call. Right. And Democrats were like, yes. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I don't support that. What we need is calm, reasonable. They sapped energy out of the movement, and now we have those the same people.
1: They like, for example, if especially if you think about it, right? The moment they were able to stop talking about it, they did. Right, again, like this is when we talk about like protests, types of protests. But again, like that's another form of like. Controlling the narrative, manufacturing what people hear about to make you forget. One thing I've been thinking about since the moment it dropped, and I've never allowed myself to forget, is that Joe Biden has right. an incredible sexual assault allegation against him. And that hasn't gone away. But again, when you compare it to like the way one of these parties handled the Me Too movement, the moment it became politically inconvenient for them. They dropped it. This is why electoralism has to go, because the Democrats will simply drop any pro- progressive policy they're pushing for that doesn't serve their interests.
0: The Democratic Party does not... I think that... I wish this was something that more people on the left understood, but the Democratic Party does not exist uh, in opposition to the Republican Party. It, it does... It exists as
1: the party that is holding the progressives hostage by saying, look at the other guy who is more scary.
0: Want power. The Republicans want power. They they jockey back and forth for it. But I think the, the, the material consequence of having a Democratic Party versus a Republican Party is that um, the uh, Republican Party does basically, they openly do um, the bidding of the capitalist class, right? They openly just say, let's just cut taxes for businesses. Let's just fucking incarcerate people. Let's just do all the horrible stuff. Right. And then the republic and the democratic party is the opposition to that. But because it is also dominated by bourgeois interests, um, what ends up happening is that, um, the, the, the ruling class can also determine the terms in which the opposition is acceptable so if the republican party says um let's just give money to big pharma let's just like no more health care right only rich people should be allowed to live right the democrats can say oh no right. no no um we can uh force poor people to buy health care um through a uh, competitive market exchanges um, and we'll call that the affordable care act and now everyone has access to health care now remember, all you states are uh, responsible for expanding Medicare, otherwise it won't work. We won't make you do anything, though, haha. Ha. And then every Republican-controlled state, which was a lot of them, decided not to expand Medicare, and millions of people went uninsured, and, well, <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> Steve Pico, Steve
0: Pico uh, says like
1: they're not only like giving the kick, but determining the way Mm -hmm. in which you must respond to the kick um and so again uh, this sort of hells Mm -hmm. this two party realism hellscape right says that well if this is the the bad thing this is the way in which we have decided the opposition Mm -hmm. to the bad thing looks and of course because Um, the democratic party is the main source of hegemonic power that is counter to the republican party if you Mm -hmm. oppose the republican party you're like well i guess i have to be a democrat and i have to fall in line with their thing or in another sense if you find yourself disillusioned Mm -hmm. with the democratic party's hypocrisy the realism of the two-party system sort of like right well i guess i must be the other thing Um,
0: it was you can i think you can kind of tell both in our voices and what we chose to focus on here that um, it has been a very exhausting and fundamental week i want to end
1: there's a lot left to talk about i think um the last bits of manufactured consent that are important to acknowledge is um one Everything is propaganda, and two, that means we can push right. our own narratives on our own terms. I think one thing that's important to understand, right, is a lot of times when people are like, "Well, we made this narrative that centers inter insert marginalized group," is it's the same idea that Spear brings up in Kendall Sabalton's speak. Is it is the version of that marginalized person's narrative. That is most um, amicable to hegemonic power, that requires power itself to change the fewest amount of things. Um, uh, there's another really cool video um, by the user group in which they talk about um, oh yeah trans branding, right, and the way in which trans people are brought up in ads is the way that is most appeasing to the people making those ads in this case. Starbucks, even though Starbucks itself has a long history of misgendering and discriminating against transgender people, right? The way in which it brought up trans issues was not you're not allowed to misgender people. It is Mm -hmm. here's the ad. Here's the way. And so in a sense, it is using the coercive power of media to influence the way people think about themselves by presenting specific narratives about the population that are in line with hegemonic powers interests and we see this with all sorts of marginalized people of like this marginalized group is smart and that is the narrative we're going to push and then It is to create this environment that, oh, well, I believe that since I'm, for example, Asian, that I must be smart or I must be striving for this form of academic success or like this group. Like again, but that, but the other end is that that means it's, that's why it's important for us as marginalized members of society to take our narrative Mm -hmm. into our own hands to create our own stories our own narratives to speak with our own voice instead of speaking with the voice that hegemonic power has lent us rather than operating rather than trying to cut away the edges of our voices to fit it into the shoot of hegemonic power rather than like forcing our stories and our ideas to conform to whatever mm-hmm. electoralism considers acceptable. We need to strive to make our own voices heard on our own terms. And that means doing things like building dual power so that
0: we can yeah. be sufficient. Um, I, I mentioned something that I wanted to bring up. Do you remember what it was? I think we were talking about theory. Okay, so I, I guess I'll just piggyback off you. Um, you were talking about taking narratives into our own hands, yes. I I think more and more I I see the importance in talking to people next to you. Uh, I I mentioned earlier that I wanted to bring something up and I'm not at this point I'm, I'm not exactly sure if this was the exact point but uh, it's just in terms of if you ask people what they want out of two options that have been uh pre-chosen for them, they will, you know, give you one answer or the other. But I think the interesting thing about organizing is if you ask people to, like, be creative and and think, if you were in charge, what kind of programs would you have in your community? What kinds of problems would you solve? I think you would be really, really surprised by the answers that you actually like get, and I think you would be.
1: Well, I, well, I wouldn't be, but like I generally think we have no place for elitism.
0: Well, Those I I'm surprised in the sense that if you're um, coming from, uh, if you're coming from the liberal electoralist position in which. Uh, the only uh, policy that exists is policy that has been being tested by politicians, then you will be surprised. Um, but if you come at policy from just what are my problems and I want to solve them, then all of a sudden they seem not. Uh, the, the range of possibilities of what can actually happen are uh, much, much, much wider. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is the system set up? to have such like crude inefficient methods for like fixing the problems that we actually care about? Why are we always like at half measures and, and at things that like compromise between two different positions that don't actually, uh, why is it that like the ideas that the people in the community have are never actually like brought up or even asked? So
1: I'll give an example. Um, At the university I used to go to, um, there was a decision by the school board, I think, to allocate a lot of funds for additional police officers in the school system. And for like weeks, there was this long period of community comments that were open to anyone. But it turned out that a lot of the working class people of color, like the black people in the community, didn't know those were happening or didn't have time off from work or didn't have time off from work where they could spend without their kids because they had to take care of their kids and all of those things so the people who were most affected by the allocating of additional funds to police officers were placed in a situation where they, their voice was denied and silenced implicitly and this is what we talk about And it's like the system is resistant and resilient to change because sure i guess anyone can call a senator to get that senator to support a policy but that takes time you need to have time off from your day to call your senator you need to have you know time to connect with other people um, you need to have a sender who's actually going to give a shit about you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so the system is actually very specifically designed to shut down any progressive change. And again, I find myself thinking about um, and can the subaltern speak and the ways in which like marginalized people's voices are like fundamentally restricted or denied access to power.
0: Do we want to end this on a little bit of a a bloomer topic like what's fun i don't see fun i just see more pain and angst
1: um i don't know let's talk anime uh, when we last recorded an episode we had yet to see moriarty the patriot um we have now seen Moriarty the Patriot and if you haven't seen
0: Moriarty watch Patriot, Moriarty the Patriot. Watch Moriarty no, Patriot. No seriously, seriously watch it. It's it's um but yeah, uh watch Moriarty uh the Patriot. Uh it is uh the first episode is a little bit disappointing because it the the marketing team and I guess this goes back to um uh, the profit motive that we talked about at the very beginning but like the the production committee for Moriarty the Patriot um, and I guess the studio of uh, production IG, they thought the best way to sell you on Moriarty the Patriot was to convince you. It was like edgy Sherlock Holmes. It's like a dude as smart as Sherlock Holmes, but he's like Sherlock Holmes's um, greatest rival. Right. And instead of solving crimes, Uh, he organizes crimes and then gets away with it, right? Um, this is okay, I guess, but the real thing about Moriarty Patriot that's cool is that it's actually just about inequality. And like, (laughs) it's, it, it, it sets itself, uh, during the height of, uh, uh, industrial Britain and it understands that this is the height of nobility this is the height of capitalism this is the height of the gulf uh, between the ruling class and the uh, working class and it uses that to actually make statements about like the way the world should be um the way to the, the so spoilers um but the way to the, the show decides to resolve this is to just individually kill members of the ruling class <laughs> in very fun and creative ways and um this is not like this is not literally the most effective way of achieving change but fundamentally like the the mentality of the show is like correct uh in terms of how it sees things and it's just absolutely refreshing to see
1: the thing about the show is that it doesn't have any pretense that this is the most effective way to achieve change. Rather, it seems more focused on getting individual characters to achieve catharsis. As someone who has read the manga chapter and watched the anime episodes for all of the episodes that are out, I do think where the manga excels a bit more is because it had a little bit more time, it got to spend a bit more time with our characters. characters. Um, specifically, the ones that got introduced in the latest episode, episode four, um, and it was able to be more about their story instead of that of Mori That being said, I think within the constraints of the anime. I think it was so good, um, though if it does keep up like this, I think that will end up being my one complaint is that Moriarty the Patriot might focus a bit too much on the titular Moriarty instead of other members of the working class and their specific struggles. But we'll see. We'll see. Overall, um... If Jujutsu Kaisen didn't exist, it would be the anime of the season, my anime of the season. But right now it looks like I it's see. tied.
0: Yeah, Jujutsu Kaisen. We talked about it a little bit uh, last time we did this, but Jujutsu Kaisen really does slap. Uh, yeah, I guess. Things to look forward to from the channel. Um, I'm really. I'm like frustrated because I know what I want to do for this for this Misfit at Demon Academy essay, but I just do not have the time to do the things that need to be done to get it finished. And that's like annoying when you're like sitting and you're staring at it and you're like, this could be done. It's coming. I promise. I will, I will take something out of it, and I'll do it. Um, and for Critical Weave Theory, it's going to be weekly for, I think, a couple more weeks. Uh, don't worry. We'll announce uh, we'll announce this all later, but uh, it'll go on hiatus hmm, in a bit, probably. But we'll still have a few more weeks of glorious uh, w- w- every Wednesday uh, content. For, for y'all to really enjoy um oh yeah uh also thing that should be happening in the next week or like the next few weeks uh don't you have something do you want to talk about what's coming up for you or
1: um,
0: okay not gonna...
1: oh yeah and then to talk about a while ago uh in the anime section about how uh pentacle fence is the pinnacle of manufactured defense oh, oh yeah well t- um, <laughs> <lol. laughs> now you get to this is your special mm-hmm. credits. um yeah if you've been listening so far
0: yeah thanks there. so much uh make sure to uh, share this podcast around if you liked it um make sure you uh you can uh there's a patreon that you can donate to if you want to financially support the show um there's a discord server that should be in the pinned comment and uh in the description or uh, when we finally do get this on podcast services uh it will be in wherever it makes sense there um yeah always feel free to talk to us and tell us what you liked what you didn't like and make sure to leave a leave a comment to um, let us know what you'd be interested in. Um, we vote on the topics that are going to show up in future episodes on the Discord. So if you want to be a part of that, make sure you join it. It's also just like a cozy place to be. I, I, I really like it. I, I appreciate everyone who uh, sticks with us and listens to it. Yeah. So uh, yeah. this has been Mo Black. Uh, my pronouns are he and his.